Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey friends, before we begin, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast episode is sponsored by my favorite books. Not literally, but I did create a book list for you with all of my favorite books for self-love and body image and self-confidence and just overall self-healing and growth. I am a huge personal growth person. And to be honest with you, a lot of the things that I talk about come from the books that I've read. I'm a big reader and I always tell my little sister, readers are leaders. And I love audiobooks. I love book books. I love Kindle. I love all the forms of books. Just give me all the goods. So I decided to create a book list for you with my top 25 favorite books. And I actually add to this list. So there's probably going to be more than 25 books on it. But I have narrowed it down to top 25 books that you need to read to start the self-love journey. I'm not saying you have to read all the books right now, but you should have this list handy dandy for when you're getting a book on Amazon or shopping in your Audible or whatever. So I've created this book list and you can get it at maryscupoftea.com slash books. And I will also put it in the show notes. And let me know how you like these recommendations by screenshotting what you're reading and tagging me in your Instagram stories. I always love seeing you use my recommendations. It just makes my whole day because we're like a little community. So anyways, maryscupatee.com slash books. Go get it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mary's Cup of Tea, the podcast. Today, I am with a very special friend, Jessica Flint. Jessica, welcome. Hi, Mary. I'm excited to be here. How are you? I'm so happy you're here. I think it was so aligned that we crossed paths. That's not a word. Cross paths. Why does that sound wrong now too? Um, A few months ago, because we are both in a similar space and then we got connected through a mastermind program that we're in. And I am so excited for this interview because like I said, before we started recording, I'm just really selfishly looking forward to hearing your story from start to finish. Yeah, it was so serendipitous that we did get aligned in that this woman's group that we're a part of because I was following you on social media for like, I don't know, years before, like, like I, I, I knew who you were. And then I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah, for so, sure. So cool. um, and yeah, me too. I've been following you since my recovery, like probably four years ago. And I was like, wait, recovery warriors. I'm like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about it in a second. I just want to read your bio for anybody who might be unfamiliar with you. Uh, Jessica Flint is the founder of recovery warriors, CEO of true warrior and the podcast host of the recovery warrior show. Jessica is a popular speaker and teacher in the areas of self-compassion, resilience, archetypes, and personal narratives. She is dedicated to boosting the emotional intelligence and resilience of people struggling with depression, anxiety, and eating disorders. So tell us about your journey and what led to you teaching this. I'm assuming it has some personal attachments to it, but yeah, like what, what fueled your recovery and led you on this path? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny to think that I'm on this path now because it was, you know, about 10 years ago, I was just getting into a PhD program in geophysics. And so I was thinking that I was going to become like a professor in earth sciences and and then in 
you know, I loved at that time. I was really into surfing, still love surfing, but that was like my life revolved around the tides and the ocean. And now here I am in Austin, Texas, <laughs> completely landlocked and doing this, this work, this healing work, helping people recover from their eating disorders. And so for me, like where it all started, I guess, was with my own personal history of, of food issues. And that started really early for me, like around six years old. And it was, it manifested more around binge eating. And I was entrepreneurial even then. And I would go to, you know, around the age seven, eight, I was able to find my, you know, my drug. I was able to go to the 7-Eleven and clean their shelves. I would dust the shelves in order to get day-old donuts. And so I'd come back home and have mm-hmm. my huge bag of like four or five donuts. And, and it was a way for me to essentially anesthetize, kind of numb the feelings of abandonment that I experienced at that time with the divorce, having go, my family going through a divorce, my dad leaving and moving out of state, marrying somebody else. And my mom being a single working mom who also had her own kind of histories of not being very present with, I think there's like generational trauma that got passed along around how present of a parent she could be to me. So I really was alone a lot. And so food became a close companion of mine and throughout my whole childhood. Wasn't really an issue at at that time because I was so active and like, you know, I would be nicknamed like the human garbage disposal and my friends would always give me all their leftovers and they're like, so I was just, I would eat everybody's food. And it almost became an identity, like where I got to be that girl who could just eat a lot. And then in high school, I think that's when diet culture started to creep into my mindset. Like people started to talk about dieting and I got my first gym membership, even though I was very athletic and always on sports teams towards my senior years when I really started to like become that gym girl because I think I was spring season or I was fall in volleyball. So then we finished and then I didn't really have any sports to fall back on. And so I just started to become like gym girl and always at the gym and starting to do the salads with no dressing, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. just like trying to do all the diet tricks. And it just wasn't good for my mentality. Like it was a really hard time for me. And I don't, that, it didn't really get bad until I went to college. And I think I was, I've always been driven to, to succeed academically and athletically. So I was like captain of my team and triathlete. And like, I would just do all these things and valedictorian. So there's just this like intense pressure that I put on myself to try to be like perfect essentially. And so when I, 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 could not get like a, a bad grade in school. Like it was just like, I attached way too much worth to my, my academics. And so I got into uh, UCSD, which is a fairly, fairly, um, I would say like rigorous, I, you know, I mean, it's competitive. <laughs> it's like a competitive mm-hmm. school to get into. And I kept with this mentality that I needed to be like top of my class. And so I just let that perfectionism completely take me down in terms of stress, pressure that I was putting on myself to perform perfectly in in academics. And I did well throughout my time at UCSD academically, but I really performed poorly mentally and emotionally. And that's when my eating disorder just run rampant in my life and just took a hold of me. And 
it wasn't a really happy time period in my life. Like people say like college is the best time of your life. I was, I was like borderline suicidal. Like I just like, you know, I, I had suicidal ideations. Like I didn't really want to live. Like I didn't feel like anything to live for. It's just way too much pressure. So much pressure on myself to, you know, feel like I'm good enough. Uh, honestly, I think that that was the core of it. Like to feel like if I do this, I'll be worthy and then I'll get love from my family. And so I wasn't very active in the recovery and didn't want to participate and even be a part of that process. So I had to learn how to advocate for myself and I had to learn how to get my own support. And that was huge for me. And I think that's what really pulls me in the work I do today is I want to make sure everybody feels that they're worthy of getting the support and the resources they need in order to recover. Because I know a lot of people don't have supportive families and people with supportive families as well can also, you know, they also struggle. So it's, it's not about that, but I do want people to know that you don't have to let your family hold you back from recovering. So a lot of people are like, if only they could acknowledge my pain, then I would move forward. Mm. And I think that that story can get people stuck for a while. Yeah. Wow. I feel like you just told my story. <laughs> really? Were you an only child growing up? I had a brother. Yeah. I had an older brother. He was three years older. Um, he was always gone, like two and yeah. So we Yeah, so it's like basically an only child. Yeah, I mean, we we had our we yeah, we're we're different. But no, I mean, he was there, but he wasn't he I don't know, sometimes some people aren't there emotionally. I think also I feel like I'm a very sensitive woman and like a high feeler and just there's no one there to really like be there for that part of me to like say you're safe, that you're okay, like mm-hmm. I love you. You know, a brother's not really at least my brother, like, I don't know if the brother-sister relationship is meant to really hold that space of what a woman needs in terms of saying, like, yeah. you're, you're, I love you, you're my princess, you know, like that type of, like, yeah. what a dad can give to a daughter. Uh, and so when a brother's, you know, three years older than you, he's not really equipped to, like, hold that space for you. Yeah, for sure. I remember my biggest pain point was, um, like honestly being an only child for 10 years until my sister was born. And so for me, I just, I don't know, for some reason I took that really, really harshly, just seeing everybody with siblings and always feeling so alone and being so perfectionistic about also my grades and dance and like, like you said, very active and trying to be perfect and basically raising myself um, because single mom also working and everything. Um, and so I remember like really wanting a sibling to like, at least do life with. And now that's mm-hmm. why I'm so attached to my sister. I was say, um, you're such a good sister. Like, I love your guys' relationship. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I just, um, one of my retreat attendees told me something that really landed with me. She said, um, I try to be the person that I needed when I was younger. Yes. And I was like, wow, that's profound. <laughs> It's so profound. And that's actually what I do to myself to this day. Like I have like part of the identity. I like to work with like, you know, really creating identities that help you succeed in life. And like one of mine mm-hmm. is like, I'm my super mom. Like I am like mm-hmm. the type of mom that I needed when I was younger. Like that's who I am to myself today. And it makes mm-hmm. all the difference. Yeah, for sure. I love that. What was the turning point in your recovery, like in college or after the fact? When did you decide that like, 
hey, maybe what I'm doing is an eating disorder. Did you know that that's what was happening? I developed bulimia and I feel like bulimia is pretty obvious that something's like (laughs) off, you know, Uh, because not people like normally don't just go and and throw up what they ate. So, and it also has like a lot of shame to it. I I realized that it was off once the like, but for a while I thought it was like me against food and like I was the problem because I couldn't just like restrict enough and I couldn't control like my, my food intake like I wanted to. And then when it started to get worse and worse with the bulimia is when I started, like, that was just, I knew it wasn't, it wasn't how I wanted to live my life. Mm-hmm. I was dropping a lot of social engagements, just isolating more and more and more. Not like, once again, like not really feeling like I, I wanted to live. It was pretty dark. And what was like the biggest thing that helped? Did you do some kind of a program or get support in some way? Like, what would you say is like, this changed my life? I went to an intensive outpatient program during school. My, um, so I did a victory lap because like I had five years, finishing five, because I, I just needed to like take some, do like lower coursework for the last year. And so I went to an intensive outpatient program. And that was a turning point because all of a sudden I had like a dietitian and a therapist and they cared about me. Like they, they, they were like curious about how I was and they wanted me to get better. Right. And so I wasn't, I didn't get that type of treatment in my family. And so having other people mirror that I'm worthy of recovering and that like it can happen was really helpful for me. And I think also discovering, like, I tried everything. I was, I, I believe you kind of have to like find what works for you. So I went to like a homea, like a homeopath. I went to, I would do like energy healing. Like I was in, I've always been more into like esoteric things and like metaphysics. And so I'd also look at one book was a huge game changer for me. It was You Can Heal Your Life by Louise L. Hay. Because it really gets down to, and she had a, like a story that I feel is very similar to mine. Uh, is you can heal your life and it really is at our belief level and our thought level and starting to like learn how to give yourself self-compassion and love is so essential, right? Like I love her quote, like you've been criticizing yourself for years and it hasn't worked. Like try love and see what happens, like self-love and see what happens. And it really does make all the difference. Like are you pouring like toxic water on you (laughs) or do you want to like put like, you know, really pure, beautiful water on you, like to grow. Uh, Louise is amazing. For anybody who's not familiar with her work, I highly recommend just searching her on YouTube. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes. She has like somebody overlaid like a 40 minute audio of hers over like some beautiful music. And it's kind of like a meditation visual visualization, but it gives you like a nice synopsis of what she's about. Um, and her book, of course, is amazing. She's been very pivotal in my recovery too. Yeah, she's a, she's amazing. Yeah, she like even has this like, you can heal your body with like all the places that you can look at physical ailments and kind of understand the emotional origin points of them mm-hmm. and the probable cause and how you can reprogram your thoughts. And I've found a lot of success in healing different kind of issues that I've come across with my health over the years. Yeah, for sure. It reminds me of like that connection with anatomy of the 
Spirits. I'm sure you've read that book. Yeah, like <laughs> like so many times. I'm like big Carolyn Mace fan. I'm yeah, big fan. Really good. I love that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I I saw a lot just on your platform, your podcast episodes, is you use the words resilience and courage a lot. Um, can you speak more into like what that means in terms of recovery and how you how you apply it to that journey? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, both recovery takes so much courage, right? To face the unknown is really a lot of what people have to do because it's like you have this life that you've been living, and even though it's not functioning for you, and you know it's dysfunctional, it takes a lot of courage to step out of the patterns and step into new ways of seeing yourself and operating in the world. And I really like that courage really has a lot to do with following our heart, right? And so that's a big part of having that courage is to really find out who your authentic self is and be that. So for some people, your authentic self, just that meaning is like letting your body be what is truly meant to be, like what you were genetically meant to come in looking like. And when you can get to a place where you're just eating for hunger and and you're eating intuitively, like your body will adjust to how it wants to be. And, you know, in the process of recovery, that can take some time in the first few years as your body learns to trust you again, because a lot of eating, like disruptive eating patterns are really going against your natural body wisdom. So it needs to learn how to trust you again. And so that, I mean, just courage is, is really facing our fears. And when we can become, that's why I really like the archetype of a warrior, because it's allowing us to, to trust that we can take any obstacle and we can get through it. And that we are essentially, you know, hero essentially means like protector and a warrior, I feel like is a protector of our, our inner child, is a protector of our, our true authentic self. When we're you know, just learning how to express who that is out into the world. Because it's, I think authenticity is a journey to, to really understand who you are and then, and then actually be that person. So it takes time. The eating disorder really allows you to distract from owning your true authentic self because you're just getting stuck in the food and the workouts and you're just focusing on a narrow issue and mm-hmm. you're not allowing yourself to truly truly be who you are. And once again, I think it's an unfolding process. I think we're, I mean, I've just covered like layers of my own authentic self this year that have somehow unconsciously uh, not worked their way up to my conscious mind for like 12 years. So all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. (laughs) So I feel like we're always in this process of shedding old layers of ourselves that are outdated or that never were meant to be there that somehow got put onto us through familial projections, societal projections. And then we're going to be like, wow, actually, like, I don't need to do that. I don't need to be this. Like, oh, cool. It's very liberating. And resilience, I, I, resilience is it's one of my core values. It's, it's just the ability to get back up when you, when you fall down. You know, it's that fall down seven times, get up eight, because, you know, things aren't, always meant to go super smoothly. Like we actually get our greatest life lessons in the harder times. But if we can have this response to life, which 
I like a lot of stoic philosophy where it's like looking at it like obstacles make me stronger or the obstacle is the way. So when we can change our perspective of actually loving like what is in front of us, like loving what is, like even if it's something that you don't want, your ego mind doesn't want, but if you can just surrender and and have the resilience to just keep going in pursuit of what your heart desires. But that's the biggest thing that I like to work with people on is understanding that our egoic desires are often not our true soul desire, or our heart desire. And so when we can start to tune in more into our heart space and understand what that truly wants for us or our soul wants us to do in this life, then we can start to wash away a lot of the ego, like what that thinks we need to do or need to be in order to be accepted, validated, seen, and loved. Yeah. And I think for most people, that very much makes sense in terms of um, just body image healing and recovery and and just letting go of this person you're supposed to look like. Um, And I think where a lot of people get stuck, or at least from my experience and working with my students at retreats, the biggest obstacle that they have to overcome is this fear of gaining weight. Um, and I think that that can be a little bit debilitating for so many people because they're like, I get it. And I know this is silly. And I know it's not going to be the end of the world. But I just can't let go of this fear. Like it just keeps ruling my life. What kind of like tools or techniques do you use to like get people through the other side to see that gaining weight could be the best thing for them or at the very least, not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's that courage to to step into the unknown, to let your body, if you can trust that your body has an innate wisdom that will show itself with more trust that you give it, then you're really allowing yourself to live life when you're eating in a place where you're nourished and it's such a small it's such a small way of living in the world when you're just focusing on counting calories and not missing extra like workouts in order to try to control your body and at least for me like that never worked cuz i would end up binging or and then purging and then feeling a lot of shame so I know that's the fear and a lot of people actually do experience because their body is is adjusting that they actually do start to gain more weight when they start the process because the body's like physiologically it's been deprived. And so it's like, whoa, like, is this the like, only time I'm going to get calories again? Like, let me like pack these on Stuck for a up. second. Yeah. <laughs> and so like physiologically, yeah, the body, like it, you, you, I gained weight, like for sure. But I like it, my body then adjusted, but it, it's a long, it's a longer process. Like if you were to do like a magazine for like recovery, it'd be like, get to your like body that you love in five years, you know, like <laughs> I really think it's like a five-year journey and you, you see, you see progress like within the first few years and everything, but it's like a five-year journey. I say to really start to be like, yeah, me and my body, we're like a good team and I trust mm. it. And that's just not the type of mentality that we've been taught. And like, you know, you want to see fast results. You want to see fast change. You want to mm-hmm. see it by the summertime. And it's just like trusting that, look, if I 
I allow myself to to really eat. I like to eat, you know, for hunger, health, and happiness. So sometimes that means I eat things that I normally don't eat, like on my normal day to day schedule and, and everything. When I'm out at a party or I'm with people, because I don't want to be that person who's like, I'm gonna like freak more out out about the food at the party than like, you know, I'm just gonna enjoy it. Like it's for happiness. I'm having fun. I'm happy. This is great. Um. And then for house, like that's another thing, like you can still, like, I'm still a very, I like to eat like nutrient dense foods. I've always been into that. And a lot of times people get scared that they like can't keep their certain types, but it's just, you have to understand the balance and like the, the morality around it. Like now that's all foods fit, but it's just finding the foods that you like to eat more. And, but that the, the main important point is that all foods fit, like no food is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen to that. It sounds so like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That sounds great. But then I just remember in practice, um, being it being so scary and I totally second the five year thing. I think I'm coming up on five years mm. in a couple months. Um, it'll be like a solid five years that I finally admitted to myself that I had an eating disorder. That's not. And after that, it was kind of like, binge eating a lot and trying to find my way and trying to stick with it. But like you said, the first couple of years, like it's bumpy, but you definitely start feeling a difference in yourself. Um, and then it just gets better and better. Well, you get your life back more. Like you, you, you get like that. I mean, I think a lot of people who struggle with eating disorders tend to have some underlying depression or mood disorder, like or an anxiety, or often there's can be people who have bipolar, borderline. I mean, that doesn't necessarily go away, but you learn how to manage it differently in a more healthy way. And the eating disorder on top of that really exacerbates the mood disorder. So if you have an underlying mood disorder or maybe unprocessed trauma, which can sometimes create a lot of like anxiety in the body, then the eating disorder just like totally amplifies that. So when you can take the eating disorder away from freight freight out of your life, then you, you know, you're not, you don't feel that as strongly. You don't feel the darkness as, as much, or it doesn't get as dark as like intensely, uh, like anxiety can just feel like really unnerving. Mm-hmm, for sure. What does recovery look like to you now? Like more specifically, do you consider yourself like forever recovering or are you like recovered? I know it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now it's been years, right? Many, many years. And um, do you like, what does that feel like to you? Do you even think about it? Do you like, aside from the work that you do with your students, like, do you even feel like you ever had an eating disorder? Like, what does that, what does that look like for you personally? Yeah. I mean, so I went to the, it's been about what? 16 years, 15 years since I went to that outpatient program. So I mean, I'm, I would say, I mean, I believe in recovered completely personally um, with like the food issues. I would never dream of engaging in any of the behaviors. And I just have such an effortless like relationship with food. It's really nice. I love it. Just eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm full. Uh, No longer occupies my mind space at all really so that's possible because I mean I was so obsessed about it I remember like 
so obsessed. And I think I'm still recovering from come like childhood trauma things that happening, like like abandonment wounds. So that's something I feel like we can still all like if you had like a, a hard things that happened in the past, certain events or just experiences, I, I feel like that's an unfolding process. And really in the past four years, I've been able to access my shame that I think was unconscious for most of it. Or it was unconscious for most of my life, how much shame I, I still like had caked around my heart. And so the past four years for me have been a big process of like grieving things, grieving losses that I've had, grieving you know, certain experiences that I never got to have as a child and then learning how to reparent myself and be able to give myself that love and learn how to absolve the shame. Because when the shame's within us, then we end up still having experiences outside of us that can create the shame story, like that can bring the shame story out, right? I truly believe that what's within gets smeared with out, like in the outer world. So our inner world will our outer world will mirror our inner world so whenever there's something in your outer world that's not functioning you really do the work in your inner world and then that changes so it's almost like you're in this orbit (laughs) and like until you can get your inner world in a place that you that's like the orbit that you want to be in you'll continue you won't even draw in the experiences anymore that Mm -hmm. makes sense like i've just felt that the more I do my own healing work in inner, inner wise, the more my outer world changes. Mm-hmm. So I think we're recovering. Most of the time the eating disorder is a, some way that someone's coping with a life disorder or a soul like disorder, like something that they're just not in alignment with. So I feel like you can treat the eating disorder and then the next stage to treat what led to the formation of eating disorder yeah I kind of like to break it down into like three phases like first you're like okay I have this issue with food maybe I should address it and then you're like well the food thing is probably related to my relationship with my body so there's all this body image wounds that I have to do and I know Brene Brown made a joke that's like if you're a woman in the western world you've probably had to do your fair share of body image work Um, and then you break through that and you're like oh fuck (laughs) there's all these other things like what that's not how it was supposed to go but I think that that is the most um beautiful and like growth part of the journey um because you're so far past the food and body and you totally see how it's played into all these other things but now you're able to uncover and discover and recover from all the things that were underneath all along yeah and that's an ongoing I think it's an ongoing thing really um yeah. I don't I don't think our wounds necessarily there's like completely heal themselves. Like I think there's like major healing work you can do, but that is something I think we sometimes look at other people and we feel like they're so evolved and that they don't struggle or they don't feel shame or they don't like have underlying wounds that can get aggravated. So that's just us projecting <laughs> onto them. <laughs> that like, so really it's, it's an ongoing thing. And that's, I think the part that recovering is ongoing in that sense, both from food and body, like over-exercise that can be recovered period. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, you are a very spiritual person. 
um, from what I know about you personally. Also, you're a very funny person (laughs) from what I know about you personally. I'm wondering how has like spirituality and your interest in the, I love this word, esoteric, as you call it, um, and your humor, how has that like played into just your your self-growth and your self-healing journey? I think the humor has been essential. And that's when I am another one of my core values. We did a core value exercise. Mary and I were teamed up for our core values. Um, and or we get to share them. And the humor has been really helpful for me in seeing the lighter like side of life, even when it's like really dark and like heavy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, I feel like I have this like heavy, like soul that like came, came with all these things to work on. And then I'm like, well, I'll just laugh about it too. So that's been really helpful to just keep um, a light, a lightness about things in my life, even when they're not that light and airy. And the spirituality is just, yeah, that that's essential for being able to surrender and trust the process. And I think that's something that I've really come in to learn in this life is just how to let go of expectations and allow the like my own internal guidance to really keep me going. And the more that I can just trust, the more I feel like things just start to flow and like happen without me needing to control them and waste a large amount of mental energy on like forecasting what's going to go wrong, you know, like kind of the anxious Mm -hmm. thoughts around things. So I spend about, you know, I spend about 45 to an hour in prayer every day. I'm not religious. I'm like spiritual. I just do believe in like higher forces that guide us and me and so I, I make sure that my spiritual practice is something I, I turn to on a daily basis to really, I like to say like, that this comes a lot from the work Carolyn Mace, Anatomy of the Spirit, like my will, not your will. Like, cause I feel like I'm a really willful, willful person at like personality wise, like just don't want to give up. And like, I will just like put my will onto something. <laughs> I'll just like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> and then when I can just take like, okay, maybe I'm going like the wrong direction right now. Like your will, not my will, like divine will, not my will. That really helps me start to like, let go of these things that my ego, right? My ego, like Lego, the ego uh, helps me just trust the process because yeah. I feel supported. I remember you gave me like a lot of clarity on this topic because I think I asked you, I was like, how do you keep track of, because sometimes we'll be talking, you're like, well, what's your Enneagram? You like, take a look. And then other times you'll be like, what's your sign? Like you're rising and you're mm. ascending and you're descending. And then I think something came up about human design, but you're like, no, I haven't fucked with human design. Have you? Oh, I fucked with human design, yeah. Oh, you have, of course. Okay. <laughs> so, so there was all these things and it was like the personalities and the astrology and the human design and then just other aspects of like this kind of spiritual healing world. Um, And I told you something along the lines of like, I get really overwhelmed because I feel like I'm having an identity crisis. And you said something way more eloquent. So I'm totally butchering it. Maybe you could correct me, but something along the lines of like, you're like, I really see them as like in harmony. And I, I thought of that because you said, I feel like my personality is very willing, but then my like, charts and other way tell me to surrender um and so 
it totally makes sense. Like then you're like, oh, I get it. And I think when we can come to that moment of like, oh, I get it. Here's my personality. Here's stuff I'm in control of. And then here's stuff that might be on my path. I don't know, destiny, fate, maybe not, or or something I need to conquer. Um, And now that I kind of see what's coming and I see the big picture, I'm not so afraid of it anymore. Yeah. I love it. No, that's in the, I like love, I'm huge into astrology. I feel like it's the roadmap of our soul. So it's like, if you have a map, like it's pretty helpful, (laughs) right? Like if you're navigating by no map, you're kind of like, what's going on? But when you got a map, it really helps you (laughs) see like, but the map says like, yeah, this girl's going to be super willful at the same time. It says she really needs to learn the art of surrender. And then things will be like very easy for her. Like her plan is not the best plan. Uh, the divine's plan is, and then it always works out when I let the divine take the lead. And it's just been, it, it has been really fun to like start to recognize that. Cause I didn't, when I had the eating disorder, I was very like, will, like there was no opportunity to even surrender like anything to any, like it was just, I was like, felt like I had to be in control. So yeah. yeah. I think eating disorders just make us very like, all or nothing, black and white, like my way or the highway. Yeah. It's like and fighting it's against yourself too, though. It's like a yeah internal right? war. Yeah, for I, sure. I did have another thought, but it passed. Oh, I wish I would, maybe I'll come back. But I think being able to to trust is a huge part of the, the like life. <laughs> just conundrum of life is like how can you just trust the process so that's in recovery that's just anything like just trusting the process Mm, yeah I say TTP what's that trust the process oh (laughs) (laughs) to my girls and beyond body I always say TTP anytime they ask me they're like well what what about what's next week and then can we do this and that and TTP (laughs) it's such a sweet place to be in too and you can really accept like, I think that leads to acceptance, which at the end of the day, that's the most important thing for finding your way into a new relationship with food and body is like accepting where you're at, even if it's not truly what you like want in the moment, right? But if you can accept it, then it gives you this point of just opening up to like what could be like mm-hmm. acceptance is really the way. And it's very hard when we're like white knuckling to holding on to what we think needs to happen or how it needs to look like. Yeah. Yeah. Surrender. Um, what is that book? Is it The Surrender Experiment? I think that was one of the books I read in my in recovery. Um, but it was all about just like letting go and being where you're at and riding the wave, you know. I was telling you about some some personal stuff in my life, and I'm like, I think I'm just gonna the biggest lesson here is to just ride the wave. Yes. That was, so I used to surf, like that was my thing. I was obsessed with it. And I learned so much from being out in the water, like the waves, they come, they go, they're Mm -hmm. like, they're super intense sometimes, but there's so much fun when you connect with the wave and you ride it. And instead of just, oh, that's what I was going to say. Okay. I remember now. Um, (laughs) Well, because you mentioned fate and destiny, right? And so I really think this is an important way I look at them is we have like the divine comes in or whatever creative source universe. And it does have faded moments for us, synchronicities. Like I would say like you and I connecting is something that's faded, right? It was meant to happen. And then there's destiny, which I think is more of the active stance, the role that we play. So it's like destiny is doing and like fate is being. So 
But destiny is based off of the decisions we make. So it's like in every moment of our life, we have an active point to make a decision, whether we're stepping towards our, like a, our, our higher self or away, or we're just not making a decision. Not making a decision is a decision. Mm-hmm. So like the destiny, in a sense, was for me to join the group that led to the fated moment of meeting you. But so it's like we have so much influence on how things are directed in our life based off the decisions we make. And I think a lot of times what I notice with people who, when they don't have courage, right, when they're not acting from a place of trust and courage, like, let me follow my heart, they just won't make decisions. They'll just stay put. Mm. And it's almost like there's this beautiful river that's taking you along on this journey and you just hold on to a branch on the side of the river because you don't trust that. Mm. You're like, but what happens if there's a waterfall down there? And what happens if there's this down there? And I don't know what's like, I don't know if I'm going to hit a rock. And it's like, well, you don't know, but like, you're just going to stay stuck at this one point. And we can do that in our life. We, we don't, the divine's not, I mean, sometimes maybe it'll like sweep you off and throw you in. And then you have to find another branch if you're too afraid to, to con- continue on your soul's journey. But the more you can just like have fun with it and just acknowledge, yeah, I may hit a rock. I don't know, but I also may come across mm. the most amazing epic adventure of my life. And that's from, that's the destiny there's making that decision though to mm. get out of your little frightened corner that you're stuck in because you don't mm. know what's going to happen next. Oh, I love that. May hit a rock or I may stumble on the most epic adventure of my life. I want to recover or recover. Wow. <laughs> that is in my head. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I want to remember um, the distinction that you highlighted between fate and destiny. Could you just reiterate? So fate is... So fate is being. Yeah, it's being. It's more of that kind of feminine quality. It's more of like the, it just happens, right? So Mm -hmm. fate happens. It's external events. It's meeting people, serendipitous things, synchronicities. Destiny is doing. So fate is being Mm -hmm. and destiny is is doing. Mm -hmm. I see. I love that. I love that distinction so much. I'm very like nerdy about like, words and how language like shapes how we see and think about things so that really resonates with me and that's when we're the co-creators in that sense like the co-creation happens from our decisions which you can think destiny doing decisions fate Mm -hmm. being just allowing something in love that i love that so your app you have an app called rise up plus recover rise up and recover it has over three million downloads that means three million warriors right yeah i mean it's been out for a while it's um, that's so amazing yeah it was cool that that's where i started my journey is like making the app so it was this idea that i got when i was i was a sea going oceanographer and just like one day out at sea it was just like you should Mm -hmm. make an app (laughs) and so i got a little moment of epiphany and then yeah i just jumped in and made it and it was a fun it was a fun kind of experience to to make something like that. I feel like it was really the the birthplace of everything now that's happened with recovery warriors. It's just saying yes, right? So that's a destiny point. Like I said yes to an idea. Fate mm-hmm. gave me the idea. Destiny made me say, "Okay, I'll do it." <laughs> I love that. Is it still available? Yeah, people, people to still, Yeah, I don't put as much attention. We will be making it to incorporate a lot of the educational curriculum. I've 
gotten way more into the educational like teaching space over the past few years. So I will be adding in that because we also have within our community daily gratitudes. Because you know, gratitude mm-hmm. and daily gratitude back practice boosts your well being by twenty five percent. There's legitimate like empirical evidence. So mm-hmm. I find it so important to do daily gratitude practices, and that's what I do with my community in our support circle. And so I want to be able to kind of scale that out into the app where you can have your daily gratitude, do all your logging, as well as connect with your educational content and and all the course curriculums, depending on what learning path you go down. That sounds so juicy and so cool to have it like all in one place in an app. Um, And you also host like workshops pretty regularly regularly um, and support people in that way. Can you tell us more about that and where people can find you and work with you and soak up more of your goodness, especially if they're in the depths of recovery or continuing yeah, this you're journey? On, on your journey to recovery, definitely connect at the schoolofrecovery.com is where you can sign up for any of our free workshops. And right now there's one where it's three skills you need to master to fully recover from an eating disorder. So there's a lot of great information in that workshop. And we'll continue to add new workshops throughout the year. And recoverywarriors.com is another place to look for articles and podcasts and more information that are around recovery. We have a great editorial there with you know, thousands of articles. So there's really any topic you're looking for more information on in recoveries is available to you there. Your blog is top notch. I love how you bring in so many different writers um, to share so many, so much goodness and so many different perspectives and tools for healing. It's just, I can't recommend it enough at recoverywarriors.com. Yeah. Thank you. It is nice. I mean, I think the name of the company of itself really just includes that idea around like we're a community and everybody Mm -hmm. has their story and that really contributes to the overall, like the threads of the eating disorder. I feel like there's like a tapestry of an eating disorder that we all have very common threads, but they're also unique too. And mm-hmm. patterning and the colors and like what, you know, what our life experience has brought us to date, but a lot of it is very universal. Yeah. From what I know, um, up until recently, you were very much behind the scenes and your focus was like the community and bringing the community together and fostering and nurturing and cultivating it. Um, and now you're really coming out and teaching more workshops and being more on social media, which I love seeing you you behind Recovery Warriors. Like, what has that been for you, like, personally? Yeah, it's been, I mean, I, I've been off social media now for a few, like, a month now. So I'm like, well, I come in and out. Um, you know, I the past four years really have been, like, my own heal. Like, I've prioritized my own deeper healing work. And I feel like it's just been amazing the depths that I've been able to take uh, myself into kind of regain my true worth and and understanding of like who I am regardless of like my past. And so I did need some space and time to kind of connect with with that that woman. And now I feel much more stronger in, in being able to communicate a lot of the topics that I've dug into personally and just read so many books and just dug really deep and a lot of training programs that I went through, like my own, my own, like I, I'm a big advocate of learning. It's my other core value. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> so yeah, it is, it is nice to be a little more out there and to be able to connect now and share a lot of the wisdom that I've gained over the past four years. 
And you do it so gracefully. I just admire you so much. And yeah, just thank you so much for everything you do for our fellow warriors. Oh, thank you. And I'm just so happy that we're connected because I, I love what you do. And we need people like you who are paving the way for body positivity and seeing ourselves beyond our body. Thank you so much, Jessica. Anything else you want to say to our listeners before we farewell? Thank you for spending this time with us today. Yeah, I really love that we <laughs> dug into like how spirituality connects to it all because I don't think that it's a topic we've explored on the podcast yet. So no? I'm very grateful for that. No, not really. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just grateful to have this opportunity to connect and for anybody who's listening, like I'm grateful that you care about yourself enough to listen to shows like this and connect with women like Mary. And it really makes a big difference to have people in your life that are guiding stars because you can, you know, it is possible. So being able to connect with other people, hear their stories really is what draws you forward and living out your own, your own hero's story, your own hero's journey. Amen to that. Amen to that. I love that. Thank you, Jessica. And thank you everyone for listening. We will see you in the next episode. Bye.